0: Luna. Hi, Mom. Welcome to You Hear Big Girls, our Attack on Titan podcast, where we'll be discussing Chapter 111. I'm Mom Taku, best known from Tumblr, where I have been blogging about this series since 2014. And I'm Luna, but on Reddit,
1: I'm better known as Wings of Moonlit Night, and that's where I upload everything related to the official chapter polls and also the episode polls. This month, we're happy to have Lady Mo on as our special guest. Welcome, Lady Mo.
2: Hi. I'm Lady Mo, Um, you might know me from the SNK subreddit, I've been active there for a couple of years now, and I write meta posts for the monthly chapter threads and do a little bit of uh, SNK-related data collection as well. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah,
1: great to have you here.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad our schedules aligned this month and we were able to do this. So let's get started. By way of review, we're discussing Chapter 111, which brought us that disastrous dinner with the Blouse family, as well as confirmation that the wine was indeed spiked with Zeke's spinal fluid. So I've been calling this um, East Titan Bordeaux. I think, Luna, you had a different name for it. What was yours? Chateau du Zeke, or something I think I called
1: <laughs> Anyway, I told you the wine wasn't kosher, <laughs> so...
0: Yeah, not at all. Not at all. So um, it was nice to have that one mystery that wasn't uh, dragged out for 86 chapters. But the chapter opens with a military meeting where, once again, I think we get a sense of the military's, um, I don't know what word we should use, either naivete or incompetence, because once again... We have Kiyomi present during a rather contentious exchange between the Survey Corps and the military police. And I think the question I've seen asked most is why is she even there? Like what is going to be her purpose in this story?
1: Yeah, it was very strange to see her there. Like we have two uh factions of the military who are kind of opposing each other so there's this internal conflict and you would never have another nation present for that and see kind of the weakness of your own nation but she was right there like in the center of it all uh with her aides as well i wonder if that was a conscious decision if um they wanted her to see this for reasons i don't know or if it was like you said incompetence on their part
2: Well, there is a moment where Pixis comes in late and he says that you're showing weakness in front of our guest. I wonder if he had been there from the beginning, if she wouldn't have been in the room.
0: Yeah, would it have happened? I, um, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. I was, uh, delighted to see him step up and take charge. So I don't know that we have official confirmation that Pixis is now running the country, but, uh, I think the indication, uh, is that he is. And, uh, you know, Zachary is dead and it's, uh, Pixis to run the show now. And I think in the chapter poll and elsewhere we've seen that, um, fandom confidence is incredibly high in Pixis. I hope he's not one of those characters that, going di- to. I'm, I'm sure we'll have moments of disappointment, but I hope that um, our trust in Pyxis is rewarded.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I think of the, um, the three leaders, I think Pyxis is the most competent. You know, his faction was, uh, they didn't lose all the people. They were never as incompetent. There's no internal conflict within the garrison. But then again, we also don't really know what the garrison has been up to the past three to four years. Like they haven't really been that necessary at all. And we haven't seen um, the reform that's taking place. So maybe he really didn't have anything else to do. And now he finally has a job again. So maybe he's really happy that he can uh, lead the entire nation of Pilates.
0: I think something else that um, a lot of people have been commenting on was the exchange between Mikasa and Kiyomi. You know, I mean, we can all doubt her authenticity uh, or what her true intentions are. I do think towards Mikasa, they're mostly sincere. But I had this terrible thought at the end when she basically promises that Mikasa will always have a home in his and, you know, will always be um, a place of refuge and safety for her. I don't know if we're supposed to start feeling nervous about Mikasa's relationship with Aaron. I mean, she's clearly struggling. She clearly is trying to support him. But, you know, if the series ends with her on a ship to Hizuru starting a new life, I would—I don't know how I'd feel about that. I think I'd be devastated, but it would be understandable. I think it will be
1: like the final panel we'll see on the Sunday independent documentary.
0: <laughs> oh, that would be just... I couldn't take that, no. I mean, at this point Mikasa says that she's going to see it through with her island, that this is her home and sh- and she will remain there. But I don't know, what kind of home is she going to have there? I, I don't know if it's a hint or not, but I when I read that exchange, to me, she has a way out, and whether or not she takes it will be interesting to see.
2: The only way I could see that happening is if, the only way I could see Mikasa actually leaving is if she had no one else left to stay with. So if that is true, that means that we will probably see the end of almost everybody else. I don't know if we're going to go that route.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, family has always been the most important to her. And of course, Aaron and Armin are her family, but you know, she's not a character entirely without compassion for others, no matter what she says, which of course we're going to get into later, but you know, here she has an entire nation now that is essentially her family as well, uh, distantly, but still the connection is there. So it could be, it could be a plot point towards the end. We'll have to just wait and see on that. I just thought it was interesting that that offer was made and, uh, I don't know, Kiyomi is just always in the spotlight, but never really saying anything that we can just like, latch on to. And, you know, I mean, she's in the absolute center of all these panels as conversation is happening with her eyes closed. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, I'm really interested to uh, see where she ends up with all this.
1: I think it's very interesting that her eyes are closed all the time. I think a lot of people have said about Gabby, like she has really big eyes, and you can read her emotions through her eyes. But with Kiyomi it's really hard to kind of gauge where she is. Like, we either see her drooling or smiling awkwardly or um, sweating buckets, but we don't really know what's going on with her and what her true intentions are at this point.
2: You have to wonder how much she knows that we're not being led on to. I think the fact that she even offered Mikasa protection in the first place is is suspect, Um, suggesting that maybe she's thinking that there will be a place that Mikasa won't be able to stay there. Uh, The fact that she would even offer is highly suspect to me.
0: Yeah, maybe she knows things that that the rest of us... I mean, she certainly knows about the rumbling, which she shouldn't. I mean, she's already been a character who kind of... She knew the contents of Willie's speech, apparently. Um, She knew what was going to happen at Willie's speech. You know, what else does she know? What hints is she dropping? I mean...
1: We all know that the um, titans are facing inward, and we know that Zeke is probably going to be in charge of where the titans are going. At least, there's been hints that he will be the one in charge and not Eren. Maybe she's just trying to get uh, her family member into safety before it's too late. Of course, Mikasa would never go along with her plans if she knew that the rumbling would be going down in paradise instead of the rest of the world. If that is true,
2: you have to wonder how much of this Eren knows. He's placing his trust in Zeke.
0: Yeah, that's true. Or is he? (laughs) I mean, I heard somebody express it best. At this point in the story, I don't remember who it was, or I would give them a shout out. But at this point, whatever Aaron is thinking is, it's the new basement. I mean, and we waited 86 chapters for the basement reveal. It feels now like we're waiting. Let's see. Chapter 91, we're at 111. I suck at math, but I'm pretty sure we're up to 20. (laughs) Thank you, Luna. Luna knows me very well at this point. So now the Aaron Yeager reveal is at chapter 20. Like, what is this guy thinking? What are his plans? What went down in Marley? Like, hello, this is um, almost two years now. Can we have a little information?
1: Yeah. I, I just... It's really frustrating on the one hand that he, like Isayama, is keeping so many secrets from us and keeping so many internal uh, thoughts hidden. Like we don't know what's going on with Historia, we don't know what's going on with Eren, we don't know what's going on with Zeke, we don't know what's going on with Kiyomi, and then there's so many things that we want to know. But and we're this late in the game, and it's been confirmed that this is the final arc, and there's still so many things we don't know, and it's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> That's
0: the nature of the series. We've been like this since Annie. So it's ridiculous. I mean, I don't want to say it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Like the the number of mysteries versus reveals. Uh, if there's one thing we can say about Isayama besides his completely unpredictable nature, it's that he knows how to hold on to a mystery, and he can do it for eighty six chapters if he needs to. So, um, but yeah, the, everyone's a little concerned now. I think everyone's getting antsy because rumor has it, this is the end. And are we going to be picking and choosing what we learn, what we discover, and what is going to stay forever a mystery or maybe revealed through supplementary information? But we have got to know what happened in Marley. We have got to know what Aaron and Zeke are thinking.
1: Two and a half years from now, maybe.
0: Yeah, you know what? I wonder if that to you 2,000 years from now wasn't kind of like an indication that we would have to be extremely patient people to get through this series. Oh,
1: that was like Isayama throwing shade at us before we were even his fans. That's <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: That's my new theory. I'm holding on to that one. It was a warning to you 2,000 years from now. was not a warning to the people of the wild world. It was a warning to his readers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys want to talk about Pixis more or? Not really. Yeah. Like was it in the one oh seven podcast where I said I was I actually wanted him in charge of the survey corps instead of Hanji? And now he's just now he's in charge of the entire military. You
0: did. You did.
1: I've high hopes, but I'm afraid Yelena will be the end of him. <laughs>
0: I had high hopes for Darius Zackley. Let's not forget the original guidebook, which came out while I was a fan. He was like 11s in every category he was ranked in. And I thought, here's this venerable old man, mature character. I got me these high hopes for this guy. Bam. That shit crazy was not on the poll. So I'm I'm very hopeful that Pixis. That's why I said the comment about Pixis maintaining his... Um, the level of trust that we have given him, he cannot end up being a Darius Sackley.
1: I really, hope I don't not.
2: think he is. If if anything happens with Pixis, it's going to be because somebody betrays and kills him, not because he did something.
0: I stupid. hope so, because <laughs> I like this guy, and I really want this guy to, he and Hanji, to make a difference in this world.
1: Yeah. Well, I think Pixis has said that, like he's willing to give his life for Paladies, so I wouldn't be surprised if he would have to someday. But it would be like on his terms, like he chose to go. I hope. We'll see. Chose to go.
0: Hot Lady Titan. We never speak in absolutes (laughs) in this series. It's always, I hope, I hope. (laughs) Yeah, Hot Lady Titan. Yelena is his Hot Lady Titan, we've
1: figured. (laughs) The true big girl.
0: So after the meeting, the military meeting, Hanji and the Survey Corps leave to go investigate Hanji's hunch that the reason Yelena put people in charge of particular segments of society was because of some plan that they had. And of course, that took them directly to Niccolo's Restaurant, where um, the bulk of our chapter takes place and probably some of the best action we had this month.
1: So let's start with um, everyone setting up for today. Everyone looks so happy and cheerful. You know, Nikola was really excited, despite the circumstances that it's um, actually a meal. He was preparing for Sasha. And then all the kids come in, and it looks so adorable. Like, that's really melted my heart, how cute they all looked.
0: Yeah, anytime we get something pleasant like this, we should know better than just to think, you know, oh, look at how cute they are and so excited. Wow, this is going <laughs> to be great. This is never going to be great.
1: Never. No. But it would have been very predictable if it would have been. So I'm glad it wasn't, <laughs> in a way. Even though, yeah, the outcome is less than great.
0: So I really appreciated the information. I don't know, um, I'm reading this out of the fan translation and not the Crunchyroll. But as Kaya is explaining to Falco and Gabby the reason for this, he said that he would treat Mr. Browse to the food he was going to prepare for old sis. I think those two were dating. And of course, um, I don't know about Reddit Lady Mo, but that's it, Tumblr on fire. I mean, it was instant. Goodbye, Springles. Hello, Nico Sasha. But it also opened up to speculation that Sasha <laughs> and Nicolo had planned this meal. This was a meal he had planned on serving her when she returned oh, from the Marley I mission. Didn't catch that. And. Um, Yes, and the Crunchyroll translation sort of uh, makes that even more poignant, I think. And thinking back to it, you know, Sasha's last words were about the meal that she was waiting for. So I think we can very much take the subtext from this, that Nicolo and Sasha, whatever their relationship was, before she left for the Marley mission, that they had plans for this dinner. And of course, rather than letting this dinner go to waste, because how long was the Survey Corps gone? They couldn't have been gone more than a...
1: I mean, it's it was like an overnight flight, right?
0: Yeah, mm, so- right. Three days
1: tops. Like yeah, that. I don't know where they were preparing or how they entered or when they entered the, um, Liberio, but I, I don't think it could have been long.
0: So, uh, rather than let that food go to waste, he uh, decided to feed her family, and of course, inadvertently ended up feeding her killer. So, thank you, Isayama. Thank you, Hajime Esayama for, <laughs> Yes, for all this pain. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I'll just point out, like, when Sasha was dying, you know, her last words were meat. It's probably been mentioned many times before, but like meat in Japanese is "niku," which sounds like the beginning of Nicolo's name as well.
0: Maybe she was calling out for him. Who knows? It would be an interesting play on words. I've seen some of the Japanese um, translators comment on that, that if he if he did that, he was brilliant because it's not something a normal Japanese person would make the connection for unless they were very familiar with language. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, we already know like um, the name of the attack titan, Shingeki no Kyojin, was a play on words. So here we here it's possible we have another one.
2: I'm hoping it was, because I was never very fond of the whole last word being me. It felt very cliche and doing disservice to Sasha's character for me. This would kind of vindicate it in my eyes a little
1: bit. Yeah, indeed. It, it kind of felt a bit meme-y and I wasn't really a big fan of it either, but I thought it was kind of true to Sasha's character, because I felt like she didn't get a, bit, a lot of development, and she was kind of used mostly for comic relief. So to me, she kind of died as she lived, in a way. But yeah, um, I still would be okay with if they really dated. Personally, I think they were just, you know, very close and just Sasha really appreciated his cooking skills. But that's just
0: me. Let's see. We did the poll question on this, didn't we? What were your thoughts on uh, their relationship? Let's see. I'm looking at it right now. We have 67% think that they were dating. 23% thought it was a one-sided love affair and... 5.7, 5.7, they were just friends. I was camp one-sided love affair. I figured that Nicolo certainly, I mean, she gave him value as a person, kind of pointed him down the path, helped him to appreciate happiness on the island. Um, uh, for her, I think it was all about the food. I mean, here's a guy that cooks for her. And uh, yeah, that's. I, I just cannot imagine that her relationship with, with Connie was not more significant. And maybe that's just me being stubborn after 111 chapters. Um, but I really hope, I hope that, um, I mean, Isayama is a jerk <laughs> for doing this, I think. <laughs> I, um just throw all of us. I mean, okay, wait a second now. Chapter, what was it? One oh five. During the Marley mission, we have Sasha on her knees holding the light. I mean, it looked exactly like a proposal scene, and then we had the hug. And I remember thinking at the time that Springle's shippers got everything they wanted, even though Mar- even though Sasha died. They got everything that they wanted. They got confirmation that they were together. You know, I just remember having kind of that little happiness in my heart that at least at least the people that lost Sasha got that moment. And then Isayama had to go and rip that away as well. Nope. So, Twin um, zones. <laughs> yeah, I just, I'm not accepting it. I It was a one-sided love affair. Nicolo loved her. She loved his food. And Connie was her guy. So... Nico Saga, for shippers, I am sorry. This is, I am too old. I am too old to change. I am not, not jumping ships. As
2: an avid multi-shipper, I can accept both. I I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Sprinkles, but kaya does say i think they were dating and you wouldn't put that in if it wasn't true at this point
0: i, I just even the way she says it she's kind of got this little glint in her eye and i can just imagine isayama chuckling as he draws that panel you know just knowing the turmoil it's going to create uh the ripples <sighs> the other ship that i think got a little boost from this was the Jean uh nico is there a nicola Jean ship there is now. Nico Jean? Okay. <laughs> Nico Jean, because, uh, you know, as soon as the Survey Corps arrived, we had that moment with them.
2: Yeah, it's such a great moment. Um, just the look on Nicolas' face when Jean says, oh, let's have some of this wine. He looks absolutely horrified. And immediately everybody's staring. him, and he has to do really bad damage control. And there's a panel at the very end of that where he's walking away with the wine and nobody can see him and the look on his face is just so relieved and horrified at the same time. It's just a wonderful moment and I love it. And it shows that he's totally transitioned his viewpoint from paradisian's being evil to, oh, it's not just Sasha that he has some sort of sweet little
0: affection for. It's Gene as well. And Connie. It's funny. He's I mean, if Niccolo has been poisoning people for a significant amount of time, he um, he's terrible at it. He's a terrible liar. He's got a terrible poker face. Like, how did he hold on to it for this long? Mm. I'm looking at that panel now of um, Niccolo's face when he successfully gets the wine away from Jean, and he has this moment of just relief that it's over when who approaches him but Gabby, announcing who she is and where she came from and what she's done.
2: So how do you guys feel about that? Um, I personally can't really blame him, quite honestly. Of course, what he did was absolutely horrible. You don't attack 12-year-olds with knives, but
0: at the same time... Well, he attacked with a wine bottle first. So let's, I mean, credit where credit's due. Credit where credit's due. <laughs> the knife was for Mr. Brown. Yeah, Brouse. knife he, was Mr. Yeah. for Mr. <laughs> not <don't>, But, um, <laughs>
2: yes, yeah, um, anyway, though, even though he did these things and it's terrible, at the same time, we just, he just had this little girl come in, admit to killing the girl that he was in love with, who made his life worth living. He was in a terrible places, this prisoner of war, and she made th- everything better. And now she's dead. And this little girl doesn't show any remorse for it at all.
0: You can't really, yeah. No, she's expecting praise. Her whole life she's gotten praise for this. And she's looking at him waiting for this, you know, acknowledgement of how amazing yeah, she is. So-
1: I think I uh, read on Reddit that like somebody thought she had like a sadistic look in her eyes but it's like you said she was waiting for Niccolo to tell her that she did a good job especially because you know the island devils attacked their hometown she was really expecting him to uh, praise her for that but of course as we all saw it didn't quite turn out that way
0: the fact that he's a Marleyan, she's kind of been raised to believe that, you know, he's, he's the good person. He's the one who is going to act the right way and do the right thing. And, uh, yeah, she totally did not see it coming. Whereas Falco, I mean, I just love the panel with his eyes where he's just like, oh, my God, this is not good. Get mm-hmm. her out of here. Isseyama's art, I think, in this chapter is among the best I have ever seen. I
1: Yeah, I really like the, the panel where he... Um christens the falby ship it's uh, it's very beautiful it's almost i almost feel like it's a uh, he wasted all his talent on that horrible panel <laughs> but it's 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 really well drawn
0: well all of it is his look of complete anguish i mean it's almost like if this was um if this was a movie, this actor would have sold it like his look of complete horror and shock and you see it like that dawning realization that he's feeding sasha's killer and you know It's just it's that progression to the point where he grabs that wine bottle and just slams it. And artistically, you know, a lot of people said that this kind of felt like a telenova that, you know, it was a good telenova, though, like, right. All the drama, all the action, all the melodrama. But I think he sold it completely. This this part to me. Even though it's extreme to think that somebody's going to, you know, try to take the lives of two 12 year olds, it was believable for Niccolo to have reacted that way. And that's why I think, like in the chapter, Paul, when we asked, not if Niccolo was justified, but, you know, how people viewed it, 70% of the fandom were like, dude, I get it. You know, he snapped. You know, he's not a character, especially not in this moment, that we're drawing moral judgment on like nobody can justify what he did but Mm -hmm. it was drawn well the lead-in was good this part is believable i think taking the knife in later after he's had a you know a few moments to reflect that's the part where i start going oh this guy is like not a good person but the moments leading up to that i mostly just felt sorry for him
2: i feel like it's all very very human And and to drive home that point, you actually get a scene with Mr. Blouse later where he does take the knife from Falco. There's that moment of hesitation where even he's thinking about it for a brief moment, of time before he makes his final decision. And for somebody like Mr. Blouse to have that moment of hesitation, you would have to think about what a weaker person would do in a situation like that. Maybe it's not so outrageous that this would happen
0: yeah kaya going for the knife too it's like everyone's knee-jerk reaction in this manga is murder like strong emotion obviously it's time to go murder somebody and um you know there are times where i find that unbelievable in the characters in aaron's case i believe you know when he was nine years old killing murderer or killing the kidnappers um you know i was willing to kind of give him a pass in the story because he clearly was not normal Nicolo was a soldier. I kind of could understand him, you know, reacting with violence. Um, but then Mr. Browse, it, it, his reaction seemed much more in par with what I would expect from an actual human being and not whatever strange emotional makeup these Shingeki people have where murder is just very easy for them, apparently. So I, I, it bothered me with Kaya. Kaya, I thought, was presented as a character who was kind of loving, wanted to be like her big sister, gentle soul. And I I was not expecting her to pick up a knife and and charge at Gabby.
1: Yeah, me neither, especially after the end of Chapter 109, where she said she wanted to be just like Sasha, wanted to be a good person, and then all of a sudden, uh, she wants to shank Gabby. and it's like, oh, where did that come from all of a sudden? Especially, you know, she's never shown any strong emotions ever. Well, we haven't seen her that often in the manga either, but still, it felt a little bit unnatural the transition. A little jarring, you think? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. She's 12 and 12 year
2: olds aren't the most stable people as Two. a rule. And she did just come to the realization that this girl that she'd been helping was the one that took away the most important person in her life. And when you're 12 years old and emotionally unstable for the mere fact of being 12 and you're faced with a situation like that kaya has never been through a situation where somebody who she knew and trusted betrayed her before she ha- she lost her mother but that was to a titan it wasn't to another human being especially not one that mm-hmm. she thought that she could rely on and befriend
0: so i i am not shocked i'm just surprised how controversial That point has been about Kaya because I know um, every post I've seen that kind of questions her going for the knife has been met with a lot of uh, response in the other direction that you know they thought it was perfectly normal and acceptable. So, do we know how old Kaya is? Is there confirmation that she's twelve? I mean, I guess we just assume that she's somewhere in that ten to twelve year.
2: I I would imagine that she'd be around the same age as Gabby and Falco, right? We know they're twelve, so I would say she's probably at least like two years
0: around. In either direction? Yeah. Okay, so 10 to 14. She looks like she could be maybe a little bit older, um, certainly in their peer group. I think what's just
1: kind of weird is like the strong, I don't know, spe- it's not like a, a spectrum of emotions. It's almost like everyone is on opposite ends. Like we either have uh, people who just have this kill, kill, kill mentality when they're faced with something Um, they can't handle, or we have people who are very forgiving, like Falco and um, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Browse. But there's nothing really in between there at the moment, and that's kind of something that I kind of miss in this series. Something that really drew me in was the humanity of the characters and how relatable they were, and I feel like that's kind of being lost in later chapters. How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, even Nicolo at this point, if you don't kill her, I'll be the one to do it. It doesn't matter who of us it is, right? I mean, the fact that immediately his his very sincere reaction mm-hmm. after calming down was that this child should be executed on the spot. You know, there's it's just such an extremist view. <laughs> and not to mention the fact that the survey court is right there to take her into custody. It's not like they have to execute justice or else she's going to escape. Yeah, it's a little extreme to me. Yeah.
1: Also, I think Nicola's reaction to Gabby is kind of interesting because, um, you know, before coming to Paradise, of course he never interacted with Paradisians, but once he got to know them, he became quite fond of them. I think the opposite is true with the Elians in Liberio, because of course he did have some interactions with them, or he saw them in the ghetto, or um, you know, maybe the, the people that were enlisted in the army and the candidates, maybe he did interact with them at times. And he did see them and he didn't change their opinion on them. And he probably did believe in the propaganda. So um, part of me is not surprised um, to, that he had such strong negative emotions towards Gabby and Falco. I think it's much easier for him to justify you know, his feelings of hatred towards two children than it is to the people he now considers friends, even though they're all Eldians.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think you're right. I could see where he would, you know, kind of segment them in his brain in different Mm -hmm. uh, capacities and be able to feel more authentic to some than others. I'm looking at that panel of Gene holding his hand up going, hey, and uh, (laughs) he's a rock star.
1: Still haven't forgiven him for almost killing Falco. (laughs)
0: Luna.
1: (laughs) Everyone who hurts Falco is on my (laughs) shit list. I can't help it. it.
0: (laughs) But he didn't. He missed. So Luna, tell us how you really feel about Niccolo. Oh, I I had such
1: high hopes for him, but I um I was one of uh, the three percent who um, wished a knife to his throat. Yeah, <laughs> I really I really am.
0: Is that all? Is there really in the chapter poll? That's three percent. Yeah, forty nine
1: people, and I'm one of the forty nine out of sixteen hundred and forty one okay. people. You yeah. need to
0: find your um. You need to find your other <laughs> brother and your 48 other brothers from like the I hate Niccolo club. Yeah, and, I should do um, like a cross reference, like how they voted
1: on every other question.
0: Yeah, you should. Maybe these are like your, your like, um, fandom soulmates. Yeah. Okay. Moving right along. So you hate Niccolo. We don't. The majority of the fandom does not. You are going to find your fandom soulmates <laughs> in this poll. The 48 other people who hate him as much as you do. The other thing that really surprised me in the poll, which maybe I should like preface this with controversial statement, people do not hate Gabby as much as you'd think. They're all extremely, not extremely. Let me back up. The vast majority of the fandom is happy that she's finally getting some development I mean, looking at this poll, I don't think Gabby is the most popular character in the series by far. I mean, every popularity poll, she ends up near the end, but the portion of the fan that really despises her does not seem to be hit here. A lot of the responses are kind of happy that she's gotten this development. And uh, Lady Mo, I know you had some thoughts about what this could mean for Gabby's development.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm one of the ones that I was never really a humongous fan of Gabby to begin with. But um, there was actually a thread a couple months back where um, someone asked what would make you start to come around to her, if anything. I actually think I was having a conversation with Renan, believe it or not, about this. And I said that what I didn't like about her was that she came across to me as arrogant. And I don't like arrogant people in in fandom or in real life. And I said, in order for me to start coming around to her, something would have to happen to knock her off her her high horse a little bit, and maybe something to do with Thako, who she has that sort of relationship with, and that's happening, and it's bringing about such really gorgeous character development. She's had this thought process of, oh, these people are evil, they're the people I need to kill, these paradisians, and realizing that Kaya and Sasha, these people that um, she thought were evil were actually people that are not as bad as she thought they were. They're just human beings, and it's rocking the world. It's dropping that arrogance to almost nothing, and I love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do too, and I wonder where it's going to go from here. Do you have any theories about what this is going to mean for Gabby's future storyline? Do you think this is sort of like going to wrap up her arc, or, I mean, do you see her being a focus moving forward, or do you think that this was the development? We'll have another chapter where she... uh, You know, maybe aligns a little more closely to the Survey Corps, or what are you thinking is going to happen next? I I personally think she's going to end up back in jail or with Historia.
2: Hmm. Historia, I like that idea, but I actually had a feeling that Mikasa protects her. To jump forward a little bit, I wonder if she's going to have some. I don't think she's going to go straight back to jail because that would kind of waste her character development almost. I wonder if she'll have some sorts of interactions with the Survey Corps and maybe align
0: herself. What use them. would she be to them at this point?
2: Maybe not necessarily to them, but it definitely will have repercussions when Rana comes back to try to save the mm-hmm. Falco and her, have her not be as brainwashed and actually have formed some sort of connection to her captures. Maybe she won't want to go back
0: yeah that could be interesting. I wonder if maybe she and Falco i mean you know Falco's unconscious at the point he needs he needs to go somewhere to recover, and Gabby will no doubt go with him. But I wonder if this will signal kind of the end of their storyline for now. They're going to fade away, and we're going to focus on the other characters in the story.
1: Hmm, I'm not really sure, but I would love some more interaction between at least Gabby and um the rest of the survey corps and maybe. I mean, the Survey Corps doesn't really know what life was like for the Eldians in the Ghetto, right? So, maybe she can help them understand what it's like for them living uh, in the Ghetto, being suppressed by the Marlins, and still wanting to fight alongside them. It could be interesting.
0: Well, she is a trained she is a trained warrior, so I guess she could be of some use in this final battle. I just I've always had a hard time kind of fitting her into the story, and and then how does she continue to be a part of the story? I'm definitely not in the camp that thinks she's going to inherit anyone's Titan power at this point. But yeah, I mean, I can see where she's important to Reiner, and will factor when the story circles back around to him. She'll certainly be relevant again. Maybe give him permission for having the conflicted feelings that he does.
2: It's very true because Reiner has always been very attached to the remaining members of the One of Fourth. Having that, own, his own conflicted views maybe being reflected in Gabby, will he really be able to go through with killing any of them?
0: I don't know. What do you think, Luna? No Reiner prediction?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> tragedy, more tragedy ahead of him, unfortunately. Um, Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, but he will definitely face Eren again. And then it will end like Naruto and they will both lose an arm. And then they will die three years later. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, uh, but it's interesting. I definitely want to see Gabby and Reiner interact now that she's been to parodies and see where they stand now. And if he's willing to open up a little bit more to her about, you know, what his life was like while he was on, the, on that island. And about the people he got to know and the friends he made.
0: I love the point that was made on... Read it and I again, I don't know who to credit with this, but um, Gabby freaking out about Sasha and Niccolo's relationship. Like, boy, wait till she finds out what her aunt did.
1: Actually, I noticed that before the comment was made because everything Reiner, I immediately know. (laughs) So, I oh, yes, yes, no. So, I already posted it, I think, on Discord in our server. Like, um, I think Reiner and Gabby need to have a talk (laughs) about. yeah, definitely. You know,
0: <laughs> well, and I wonder if that's going to further—if that's going to further her development when she realizes that Aunt Katrina had an affair and he, Reiner is the product of that affair. Rules can be broken and have good results, and Reiner is one of those good results. I'm sure Gabby thinks so, anyway.
1: I think she'd agree, and I think um, you know the more she learns about the world, the more th- uh, she will realize that her thought process isn't doing her any favors at this point, and the things
0: she knew uh
1: aren't exactly true and she's gonna come have to come to reality with that
0: so the real bright spot in this whole chapter though was mr Browse, um after Nicolo offers him the knife and he gives this incredibly impassioned speech and i know uh lady mo it was we had been asking you to guest on the podcast for i, I probably think i think since we inception. Um, So when you were so passionate about this particular speech and you wrote the post on Reddit and Tumblr about it, I just got very excited that, you know, this was the month it was going to work out because you had a lot of thoughts about what Mr. Brow said and, you know, even wrote this sort of lengthy meta about it, which we will link to in the description. But uh, did you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Sure. I absolutely adored Every moment of the speech, it was definitely the highlight of the entire chapter for me. Um, And what I love about it is it just goes so much. Every detail of what he's saying is linked directly back. You can link directly back to Sasha's spotlight chapter way back in in Clash. And um, what he's saying here is we're reminded of Sasha's backstory and how she herself was an incredibly prejudiced person before we actually met her. She was prejudiced not against people from other countries, but from people outside of her forest. and She um, was enraged that these people from Almeria were coming in because their homes had been destroyed and she said, no, they need to get out, they're ruining our way of life. For Mr. Blouse, he saw that and he said, no, that's not the proper way to think about this. You can, but if you do that, you're isolating yourself from everybody else in the entire world. And if something bad happens to you, God forbid titans come knocking on your door one day, then no one will be there to help you. And even if it means sacrificing your way of life, you need to go through and try to embrace these people who are different from you, even if it's scary. And then going back to the speech in this particular chapter, he goes back to that. He says, "Okay, my daughter went out, and she learned that the people out there weren't bad, and she befriended the other people in the 104th. But at the same time, the world was a forest. So she might have lost her prejudice for these groups of people, but the entire world was like that. And we have the Eldian, um, Paradisian, Marlian conflict going on, where they hate each other, they fear each other because of what they're capable of doing to each other, and I." Definitely saw a link to that. He says if you separate yourself, and if you don't accept that this world is connected um, You're going to end up all alone and no one will help you in the end and Okay, I'm gonna say something controversial here for a minute. Just FYI Um, I have to sort of link that back to what maybe Aaron is doing on one hand you have Armin who as naive as it is, wants to embrace the world outside of Paradise and the world of other people um, and do kind of what Sasha's father had put about, um, had suggested. And on the other hand, you have Aaron, who says that's not a good idea at all. These people want to murder us, and that's the, all there is to it. There's no use getting through to them, which kind of goes against it. And I know that won't be popular with a lot of the people who are very much supporting her in at this time period, but that's the first thing that came into mind when I, I kind of saw that that
1: we were revisiting this set of points. Yeah, I think you alluded mm-hmm. a little bit to that at the end of your post, to kind of mm-hmm. keep Mr. Browse's speech in mind when looking at the actions of other characters. And I thought it was um, very interesting. and. I remember thinking when we finally reached the ocean that Aaron said, like, oh, the whole world is our enemy right now. Can we only be free if we kill them all? Or that was kind of what his words came down to. And I thought, well, okay, surely he's not going to think that. And surely he will be a better person and try to kill everyone who thinks that they're evil. But then that kind of was exactly where the story went at this point. And that's also where I kind of personally started disliking Aaron. I know a lot of people are very fond of him now post time skip, but his actions are very he's very convinced of what he is doing and that he's doing the only thing that he can do to keep his friends safe. I think that's still his main motivation. I think he wants to free the world of people who want to hurt them, but mostly he wants to keep his friends safe. And he's going about it, in my opinion, in absolutely the wrong way.
0: I really love Mr. Browse, you know, he's the one that, like you all were saying, really highlights the problem here. Um, The same thing is going to happen again and again and again, unless people come together. And he says, "As as adults, it's our responsibility to shoulder the sins and hatred of the past. So, you know, I know this is a shounen manga, and that's why for the majority of it, our cast has been 12 to 15-year-old children, and now we're dealing with a bunch of, you know, 18 and 19-year-old, very young adults. But we see the maturity of characters like Magath, Mr. Browse, Hanji, Pixis. You know, I really, I'm hopeful that, you know, we've got some good examples here of adult people who are moderates, who who see that the only way that we're ever going to have peace is not by going into the forest and killing everybody, but by coming together and ending the cycle. And if that's ultimately the way, maybe I'm too hopeful, but if the Mr. Browses of the world have the loudest voice in the end, and that ends up being the conclusion of the story, you know, I hope, I, I want to see that. Maybe it's a pipe dream, but it's really nice to see a sensible character, actually saying the words that I, as a reader, am seeing and feeling. So this could be a situation where he's just giving voice to what so many of us believe. This cycle has to end. You know, the way that they are going about this is wrong. This is not working. So we'll see. We'll, you know, it's probably too hopeful to think that that's what's going to happen. But at any rate, it is wonderful having such a sensible, reasonable character saying those words for us. And I do think it makes a difference with Niccolo. Looking at the chapter, you know, his face when Mr. Browse delivers that line, I think Sasha got killed because she wandered too far into that forest. We've got to let the children out of the jungle at the very least. I mean, you can almost see his face just completely drop. That's the point where he is taken into custody and then confesses to the wine. So maybe Mr. Browse's speech got through to to Niccolo at least. You know, maybe he made that change in at least two people, Gabby and Niccolo.
1: I'd like to see. I don't know. Too optimistic? Yeah. Remember what manga
0: you're reading. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Of course, then right after all that sweetness, here comes Kaya with the knife. Yeah, uh. But
1: I, I do agree with him saying, like, we need to break this cycle and put an end to this and continue on. new way. I've also been reading a lot of comments saying um, that it's impossible that the world will always hate the Eldians, but I don't think that's true. I think they can move forward in a better direction. I think there will always be countries or people who will have something against the Eldians and uh, won't be able to let go of the past, but I think it's possible to move forward to something better. You know, it won't be ideal. It, it's not like they will ever be free of prejudice. They will ever be free of prosecution, maybe. But it should be a whole lot better.
0: Well, it's our own world, right? Our own world exactly. will never be free of those things either. But we manage without trying to, you know, without 12-year-olds murdering each other, so. Well, mostly
1: nowadays. Our old world can be just as depressing as is manga sometimes. Well, on that happy note... <laughs>
0: the other bright spot. Yes, yes. Well, at least there was, I mean, this chapter definitely, you know, so we we have Kaya running at uh, at Gavi with a knife, but then Mikasa stopping her, which is another moment that everyone has been singing the praises of. I mean, you know, Mikasa has seen what happens when these when children murder people and she prevented this one from falling into that same path. This was the first time since season one that I actually
1: really like Mikasa.
0: Since season one. Wow. W- what moment in season
1: one? I liked her characterization, and I could really like relate to her, and you know the struggle to keep moving forward, and you know it was a great season. I really loved the trust arc, and I don't know she she was just a very enjoyable character, and then I think in season two I started liking her less and less, and I think the moment that kind of um, broke her for me, and that was also referenced in the character poll this month, was that she doesn't have room in anyone else for her heart and that she would, you know, uh, be willing to kill everyone who would threaten Aaron's life. And that's kind of where she lost me as a character and she never really fully recovered from that for me personally. But I feel like now that Aaron is away and she's kind of on her own because she's not really interacting with Armin a lot either... She's really going into her own, and it's very, very enjoyable to see. And then I think this um, chapter and her, you know, protecting Gabby while also saving Kaya from doing something she will most likely regret someday. Yeah, it was just a great moment. I really, really enjoyed
0: seeing it. Yeah, it's been nice. We're getting this, you know, starting with um, standing up to Louise back in, uh, I don't even, chapter 107, and now preventing— you know, actually taking Gabby into her arms and uh, protecting her. I mean, it is uh, the kind of development that a lot of people have been very excited about. She looks fabulous, too. She just looks so good in this chapter. So I do think it was Papa Browse's speech that motivated Nicolo to confess about the wine. And uh, maybe not, you know, it might have been his friendship with the survey court might have been that you know, he realized the gig was up, but for whatever reason, he came clean on the fact that the wine was indeed spiked with Zeke's spinal fluid. And that, of course, now we know that Falco has ingested this. And I thought it was interesting in the poll, how many people think that Falco is going to become Reiner's heir because of this? What was the number? Do you know the number on that, Luna?
1: I think 67 almost. I don't know what the poll will close on, but it's around that 67%. I think
0: for me, what's been missing is this, is that if Falco recovers from his head injury, he's not in any danger at all of becoming a Titan unless Zeke screams. So from what we've seen, other people have ingested this, and they're basically ticking time bombs. They're not uh, losing their cognitive function. They're not falling over. They're functioning perfectly fine. They just are... Uh, you know, they've got the marker in them that if Zeke screams, they're going to become mindless titans. So I, I was, I think the part of the chapter, first of all, I think this chapter was amazing, but the brilliance of Zeke and Yelena to hatch this plot that guarantees cooperation of the government, I think is just brilliant because here you have high ranking MPs and now Falco, And people who love Falco forced to either comply with Seek or risk being titanized. And if this was the Survey Corps who had been drinking the wine, these are people who have humanity's best interest. They would either, I don't know, quarantine themselves, get off the island. They would in some way do something to not be a threat to the people. But this is the military police being mm-hmm. under this threat. And these are people who are selfish and corrupt. And, um, you know, it's fascinating to me that we've got people like Rogue now who are going to very soon discover that they have this thing inside of them. And if they don't get along with Zeke, they're going to die or worse than death, they're going to become a mindless titan. And I just, it, you know, it's a development we knew was coming. I'm delighted that it's actually happened and that it's happened to the military police was just brilliant.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Can you imagine them like turning into mindless titans like in the middle of Mithros, for example? Just like in the mo- innermost city, like you would have mindless titans. Yeah, I mean, that's where the
0: military police is based, right?
1: I think so. You would know better than I do. And
0: you know these guys are not going to do the right thing. I mean, this rogue has already <laughs> been presented as a total horrible human being. Uh, mm-hmm. So I absolutely cannot wait until these people all discover the absolute panic that's going to run through the MPs at the news that anyone who's drank this wine is has this marker in them and are susceptible yeah. to becoming a mindless titan if they don't keep Zeke quiet and happy.
1: Yeah. Well the thing is they've also been distributing like the regular wine amongst the citizens, right? Everyone's been drinking the Marlene wine. And I don't think everyone knows probably which bottles were infected with Zeke's spinal fluid and which ones weren't. So I think he can also cause like a mass panic. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, anyone who's drank, anyone who's had Marlayan wine is suddenly going to have the thought in the back of their head that they've been infected. So, exactly. yeah, it's going to be absolute panic. If I was privy to a stock of special, amazing wine, you better believe I'd be <laughs> serving it at parties, you know, to my family. I would be enjoying it. So... I have to wonder, was the wine only served in that particular special room, or were they allowed to take it home with them? I mean, it's the potential here is uh, interesting. And you can see this being just, again, I hate Zeke so much, but absolutely brilliant.
2: How much do you think they're going to tell the general population about this? With that thought in mind, will they know that this is something that is potentially going to happen? I don't think so. They've been keeping so much from them.
0: Too many people in that room for somebody not to let it slip. I mean, unless so you are gonna... it's going to get out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Unless you can swear mm. seven children to silence. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many kids are there. but um... And two, Hanji would almost have to share it with them because they're all a threat. Everyone who's had that wine, if Zeke screams, they're going to become a mindless titan. So it's not like she can stay quiet about it feel like there's
1: no way Zeke is a good guy. Like He basically could convince any, everyone in parodies that they, who had drank the wine that they could turn into a mindless titan, or he could unleash the wall titans on them. I feel like he triple insured himself to come out on top in all of this.
0: We talked about this 4D chess game. So now he's got cooperation of Aaron Jaeger. That's check one. Cooperation of all the military police now. Check two. He might have cooperation of, uh, accidentally, of Colt and Reiner now. I don't know that Reiner... Oh. No. not know that. No. Okay, that Colt. That ship has sunk, I think. Yeah. Colt, Reiner... Gabby are all very invested in in Falco's character. They're not going to want him mm-hmm. to become a mindless type. Like It changes everything. So the piece that I'm waiting for, and I'm not going to talk about this extensively, is how did he get Historia's cooperation? And I cannot wait for the reveal of what Zeke did to manipulate that situation. So we have to find out how he convinced Aaron, how he convinced Historia.
1: I still don't think he was involved with Historia, but if he was, I will give you $5. I will bet $5 on
0: this. <laughs> let's let's make it... Let's make it... Hmm. We'll, we'll have mm. to come up with a decent wager because I am so confident okay. about this. Okay, good. Okay.
1: <laughs> we'll work it out. So that kind of uh, finishes up the discussion of the chapter. Is there anything you guys want to see in chapter 112? I think we're
2: going back to Historia.
0: Yeah, I do too. Honestly,
2: there's a comment at the beginning about... There are two places that we need to protect, Zeke and the place where Historia is. And because shit is going to go down when we get to Zeke, that's just, it's going to happen. I think we're going to have that transition chapter where we find out what's going on with Historia first.
0: Yeah, I agree. And we're going to Historia next. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if when they get there that she's gone. I think, um, I, I hope that's not the case. I will be angry, but uh, this isn't, nothing ever goes smoothly.
1: Yeah, I know everyone's waiting for, like, Aaron and um, Zeke to meet up together and possibly face off against Levi. So I I wouldn't be shocked if he postponed that another chapter and we finally got to see Historia again.
0: I I think he's going to postpone that for at least another six chapters. It'll be a (laughs) while. Mm,
1: Well, the last chapter we got last year was actually um, January's chapter. That was a banger. That was the Warhammer Titan versus the Attack Titan. And I think that was one of the greatest chapters Isayama has done so far. So I would love to see some sort of repetition of that.
0: We'll see Levi and Zeke. We'll get glimpses of them, but I don't think the face-off is... I think we're going to have to be patient.
1: Well, last year around this time, I was worried for Falco's life, and this time...
0: You're worried for Falco's life? <laughs> hmm <laughs> well it is December is Levi's birthday and I do think that Isayama tends to time interesting events for a character with their birthday. Because wasn't Mr. Browse's um either when Sasha died or it's it was sometime during It was Connie's birthday. Connie's yeah. birthday. It was Connie's and birthday. Then, I'm pretty sure Mr. Browse's was this month and you know we get his chapter and so yeah. Next month is Levi. So what percent of people think we're gonna or are anxious for the Warriors? Mm, around,
1: uh, let's see, 40% of people think we'll get the Warriors, or at least people are excited and hoping to see the Warriors. But the most wanted, with like 40, sorry, 54 and 53% are the Jaeger Bros reuniting and Historia. So that's definitely on top of uh, on top of the list for most of the fandom. Personally, I would like to see Kodansha bring out a chapter without any typos. But I think we'll be waiting until the end of the manga for that.
0: Can I just say how angry I am? Like, this was the chance for me to get, like, the perfect meme um, pie chart with no, no but in red. And everyone picked the in red option. So, I know. Um, oh, uh- It's changed now, unfortunately,
1: but when I checked earlier this week, it was no in red and then 66.6%, and I thought that was brilliant.
0: Oh, now we're at 672
1: Yeah. (laughs) I hope some more people pick the regular no option before the poll closes.
0: Right, so we go back to
1: 666. 66.6,
0: yes. (laughs) I just would like to give the fandom my sad face that I did not get my perfect meme pie chart because here was my (laughs) chance and nope
1: yeah but like the association of no and red together like I everyone just flocked everyone has to pick that one or at least two-thirds of all people did
0: I thought that this chapter was the most egregious we have seen. The fact that they didn't even get the title of the chapter right. Like, how hard is it to type children of the forest? And we got child Aaron of the forest.
1: Well, the thing is, don't they have like Grammarly or just a regular spell check? Like, how? How does it keep happening? And there's no, like, nobody who does quality control. Nobody who just goes over it and then the worst part is it will probably get printed in the actual volume like this
0: i wonder i it'll be um let's see this will be this is the start of the new volume so we will not get this for uh for a while eight months yeah. it'll be it'll be july this will be the july the july so i'll have to remember in july <laughs> to look at my volume and see what if this got fixed if anything i imagine child Aaron of the forest will be fixed
1: I really hope so. Yeah, like Kodansha needs to get their stuff together. Crunchyroll needs to get it together. Uh, I don't know. I kind of want to talk about this because, you know, when I was younger, there was no way to like legally read manga, at least where I lived, just because a lot of it didn't get translated or was very expensive and we'd have to wait like months, maybe even years before we got the volumes if we ever got them. And, you know, it didn't feel so bad to not pay and um, look out the chapters in illegal ways. But now, you know, we can actually pay for what we get, what we read. But then the quality is so bad, it almost doesn't make me want to. How do you guys feel?
2: I sort of agree with you. If the quality of the legal stuff is worse than what you're getting for for the fan
1: subs, what's the point? Yeah. Something that I still enjoy is reading all the, the fan translations. Like, There's always something that I uh, really like about every translation. Like, Somebody always translate one panel or one text bubble better than anyone else does. So and then you can, can piece together like the perfect translation
0: from all the different ones. I do think that Crunchyroll does a nice job of making English that flows. Whomever is, or not Crunchyroll, I guess it's Kodansha, whomever their translator is, is very conversational in their translation. Whereas some of the fan translations, I think the effort to try to get it right supersedes trying to get it readable. Mm. Um, But like you were saying, both of those together, you get a really good feel for both the intent of the author and something that's enjoyable to read. Yeah, I think So, so too. I think that wraps up our chapter discussion and all of our gripes and complaints. After the break, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Lady Mo's polls. We're also going to talk about SNK in the news and take a peek at our mail. We'll be right back. So welcome back. One of the reasons I was so excited to have Lady Mo on our podcast was because of some of the work she's done with uh, data collection and some polls that she's created. And Luna and I are both huge data nerds. So when I first saw, when I first met Lady Mo, I think was during your Character Appearance Poll. And I thought it would be really interesting just to sort of discuss those briefly and find out from you what the inspiration was. Which one did you do first, the popularity poll or the appearance poll?
2: The appearance poll. Um, I actually started the appearance poll not long after I caught up with the series. Mm -hmm. It was originally a, um, if people don't know what it is, it's a um, count where it's not really a poll. It's more of a, I physically take a volume of manga. I sit down and say, there are six Aarons on this page, there are four mikises on this page, there are two Connies on this page, so on and so forth, and I tally all of those up for every chapter.
0: And how many characters are you currently doing a tally of? What's the total number of characters?
2: Uh, let's see, what, 304.
0: So wow. you have a spreadsheet of 304 characters and how many times they have appeared in the manga.
2: Appeared in each chapter over the course of the series, yes.
0: Do you have totals? Like, how many times has Erwin been in the, um, I think if I asked you, how many times has Erwin Smith appeared in the Attack on Titan manga?
2: 951.
0: Wait, how many?
2: 951. 951? And Aaron has appeared 5,250. Jesus.
0: Oh my God. Do you publish? And, and this is available on um, ImageU. Uh, how do you pronounce it? I-M-G-U-R? Imgur. r uh, Imgur?
1: I always call it. I don't know.
0: <laughs> what do you call it, Lady well, Mo? I, I usually do Imgur,
2: but I only use it for publishing my things, so okay. I'm probably not the best person to ask.
0: And all of this data is available online, and you update it after every chapter?
2: I... I update it sporadically. If I did it after every chapter, it would oversaturate it. But but I have posted three versions so far. Um, the latest version came out a couple months ago.
0: Okay.
1: And I post it to Reddit and to Tumblr. So you just said you would um, count every character appearance uh, by manga volume. So how much time does it take you to go through each volume? For,
2: um, I do it by chapter. I do it after every time a chapter comes out. And it depends... On the chapter in particular and um, exactly what's going on in it. Um, like, some of the chapters during Female Titans didn't take me very long because it's an Annie Aaron fight scene. I would only have to count, okay, this is how many Annie's, this is how many Aaron's. Nobody really el- else really showed up. So that would take me like 15 minutes. But in Uprising, one of those chapters, you have all these pages and pages of people in the background. secondary characters in the background, and you'd have panels where you'd have the entire um, entirety of Levi squad appear five times on a two-page spread, and you'd have to count every single one of them individually, and those can take upwards of an hour or two for one chapter.
0: And this particular, this tally that you do of character appearances, this is just something, it's just relaxation for you? It's just something you're doing for fun?
2: It's it's pure relaxation. Um, I get pretty bad anxiety from time to time, and I find that the repetitive counting calms me down because it's something it's involved enough that I have to pay attention, so it distracts me from whatever it's upsetting mm-hmm. me. Um, but at the same time, it's simple enough that I don't, I it won't get me stressed out even more so.
0: So the character who has appeared the most, I'm sure, is Aaron Yeager. Mm-hmm. and Levi would be number he two. Has
2: appeared. Levi is actually, you know, it goes Aaron, Mikasa, Armin, and then Rhina, and, Le- and Levi is in fifth.
0: Wow.
2: Levi has only appeared 1,736 times.
0: We will, link to th- we will add a link to this in the description because I, I know this is something that I am going to want to look at. I have a word uh, a Photoshop file, a Photoshop layer file of every time Erwin appears in the manga, but I only I limited it to times where, you know, I could actually get a thumbnail shot of his head, so partial faces don't count whatever. And I think that document is 500 layers, so clearly I've missed quite a few. <laughs> the other poll that you did and this is the one that the first thing I saw that you ever did was the character popularity poll. And you did that about a year ago. And what was interesting to me was you kept that poll opened literally like 48 hours. It was a flash poll essentially. But any character popularity poll that I've seen has been prone to abuse by rabid fans. You know, you always had to doubt the results of what you were seeing, but you managed to do one where you were kind of able to eliminate that. And the questions that you asked were so interesting because it wasn't just who's your favorite character, you were able to come up with like 40 different panels of data about factoring in character apathy. And I mean, it was absolutely masterful. I wanted to know a little from you about, you know, how did you build in all those protections? What did you learn from it? I mean, what was the process of designing a character popularity poll that was actually gonna be accurate?
2: The hardest part was the anti-cheating measures, um, and my main process for that, this process alone took me about a week, and of course, it's always going to be, you always are going to have doubts, even with your best efforts, but a there are two factors that I came up with that really allowed me to weed out a lot of the more egregious offenses. and. That's one, Res- the results tend to be very similar to another um, if it's somebody doing a repeat. Um, a lot of times they won't bother to fill in. For this one, ex- mm. for example, uh, I had both what who's your favorite and then who do you like? And um, then the hundred characters that I had picked for supporting cast, who do you like out of these guys? A lot of times cheaters wouldn't even bother to fill out any of the rest, they would just pick their favorite, and you could easily tell that this is okay, this is a little suspicious, that they wouldn't go through with the entire pool, they would just do this one little section. Uh, another bit is sometimes they did that and they changed, um, they did fill out everything, but they only changed the um, characters that they liked in that hundred character spread a little bit, and you could kind of see overlap over time. Mm. Um, of what it was like. And the third factor is time period. Generally, when somebody cheats, it's a spur of the moment thing where they will do it over the course of a couple of hours. And so you'll have these very similar sets of data coming in over the same general time period. You're not going to see a one pop up at 10.30, for example, and then have another one pop up at 4.30 at night. Um, at that point, somebody who has
1: done that is going to have lost, lost interest in the little poll. Yeah, we can see the same with our polls, actually. So because none of the questions are mandatory, they just skip everything and just fill in like one or two questions and then just send and send and send and send. Sometimes we get like 50 in a row spamming the same answer.
0: I can see why you had to make this a flash poll. Uh, or basically, I mean, how, old, how long was it open? 24 hours or 48? It was
2: open for 48 hours. 48 hours, hours yes. read only.
0: Because otherwise you'd almost have to get a team of people almost to have shifts to watch the spreadsheet results coming in to be able to flag those. I mean, otherwise, exactly. how would you ever go through thousands and thousands of entries would, looking for... would you
2: be able to bounce it.
1: How many entries do you get for that poll? It was
2: 881 and I removed 100 just uh, by chance, it ended up being exactly 100 that I took out. So that in the end, that was 781.
0: What I thought was really cool was that you actually showed all the data that you did remove in case anybody wanted to go back. Like you were very transparent about every every part of this poll and all the data that was um, represented there.
2: I thought that was important because I didn't want to have people accuse me of fudging the results myself. I wanted them to know This is exactly what happened. This is exactly what I took out. Because I know I'm not fallible with this process. It is me working alone. And it's basically off of my perceptions of the data and what looks suspicious. So there's always a chance you might accidentally remove a couple of innocent posts. And I didn't want to have somebody be upset about that. So I I thought it was the best course of action.
0: Was there anything that surprised you coming out of this process or about the data you received or the effort that went into it?
2: The most surprising thing was actually the controversiality section, which the way the, that particular section was set up is you took, I took the number of characters that um, the number of people who liked a particular character and the number of people who disliked a particular character and I divided the smaller number by the larger number to get a decimal. And um, that decimal would kind of quantitative how controversial the particular character was and I would say that a score of 0.3 or higher roughly is roughly that controversial um, relatively controversial as for um, and you would think that a lot of characters would be very controversial because in this fandom we argue a lot about almost everyone and it's just you, you see discord at every step of the way but especially on the supporting character section. Most of the characters had a score of under 0.2 and more of a fourth than a fourth had a score underneath 0.1 as far as controversiality goes. So not as much discord as you would think. There were a few characters that were fairly controversial, but the vast majority of people agreed on the vast majority of supporting characters. And I just found that absolutely fascinating.
0: I think we see that in the poll as well. You know, I know right now, um, for a while there, Porgo was the character everyone hated, and then Flock, and now, of course, Gabby. Um, it's not as bad as, as Tumblr would lead you to believe.
1: Well, I think Lady Mo is kind of referring to, like, one side of the fandom really liking one character and the other side really disliking them. So that makes them controversial. Like, uh, I know uh, Ray Kucha also does a character popularity poll, and for her... Polls, I know Zeke is the most controversial one, because it's like 50% likes him
0: and 50% dislikes him, basically. So he always ends up in the middle of the poll. And I love when when they take that and they break it down by genders, because uh, that's <laughs> insane to me to see when you overlay gender on that. Um, I really appreciate you and Reku doing those polls, though. I, I absolutely love getting that sort of a snapshot into the fandom. Yeah. So would you do it again?
2: Absolutely. Um, I was planning on making it sort of like an annual thing, and it's coming just around, I think, the one-year mark passed a couple of weeks ago. So, we can see another poll coming soon, then, I hope? soonish. Um I, I have the beginnings of it, of what I want to do for this one, on my computer right now. I didn't want to put out anything right now, because Reku's data just came out, and I didn't want to oversaturate the subreddit with similar types of data so close together. Uh, I want to kind of give a breather. But hopefully, yeah, within the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping to put out another poll. So we'll see what happens if all goes well.
1: Yeah, well, I'm definitely looking
2: forward to it. I've had a lot of fun working on these. so <laughs> I'm glad people like them as much as I like making them.
0: So this was a big month in terms of Attack on Titan news. We have the documentary, which we're recording this on November 17th. uh, It's about four o'clock Eastern time. So in a few hours, Japan will have the Hajime Isayama documentary. I expect tomorrow we will be flooded with information about what was said and what wasn't in that. We also had news of the Attack on Titan movie. And I've noticed that uh, Isayama's editor has mentioned that he had several big announcements coming. I think we've gotten... It's hard to do an exact count on those, at least three of those big announcements. So I thought it might be nice for just a moment to talk about those topics in the news, starting with the SNK movie. And we actually had somebody write in and ask us if we would talk about that. It was Attack on Mom Life, who is the person that I had dinner with in Japan and enjoyed the VR event with. She said, "'Hi, ladies. Will you talk about the upcoming SNK movie and your thoughts? Who do you think should play who, and what should the movie cover?' So I wanted to open that up to you guys, what do you think?
2: I feel like the ideal way to do this, I don't think that they'll end up doing this method, but if I was in charge of this, I would use our compilation movies that already exist, um, kind of shortened versions, as sort of like a template for movie format. There are problems with compilation movies, but as far as a a abridged version, I thought they were actually pretty good adaptations. And if they want to make a viable movie without being too distant from the original source material, that would be a good starting point.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine anybody in Hollywood actually reading the manga. I know the original deal that was created was going to be a remake of the existing Japanese live-action movies, and I really feel like that's going to be the way that this goes, that they're going to sort of use that as their jumping off point and do the Hollywood spin on that, which is going to disappoint a lot of fans. But when, you know, I was thinking season three, we've had half of season three, 12 episodes, four hours of anime, and we're all grumbling about moments that were missed. There's no way a Hollywood, a single Hollywood movie or even a trilogy would be able to encompass even a single arc of the anime and be loyal, uh be a loyal adaptation. There's just no way. It's too much material. So I am of the belief that we are absolutely getting a remake of the live actions.
1: It could be that they're doing that, but oh, like the American adaptations are always so much worse than the original, and the original was already pretty bad. So. <laughs> well, you know what it is? Like um anime movies usually aren't great either, and um anything that I've seen just kind of Asian influenced or like based on uh, manga has never been really all that great. This is going to be like the next Dragon Ball Evolution or The Last Airbender. I feel like. like it has the potential to just completely flop.
0: I think it's going to be more like Pacific Rim where it's going to bear the same name of the series, but sort of be its own thing. And we'll get name recognition out of it, but little else.
1: Well, that would be good, because at least if I dislike it, it's so far separated from the original work that it's okay, that you can still enjoy the original without really feeling bad about the movie and that it didn't live up to your expectations because it was just something so completely different. I feel like when they try to stay true to the source material, but completely mess it up like they did like in the last Airbender, yeah. it's it's harder to enjoy the original series because of it.
0: Right, something totally its own is going to be better than um, than something that's you know half-hearted or half-done or missing all the key scenes we like. So if that's the case, we won't have a Levi, we won't have a lot of the characters that we know and love. So all the fan casting we've been doing will be useless. But I know for me, as far as who should play who. If I have to choose a famous person, I would take Michael Fassbender over Chris Evans. But if I have to have Chris Evans, I absolutely want Michael B. Jordan in this movie. So
1: as Levi, right?
0: Yeah, I do. Um, I, I that's my unpopular opinion that Michael B. Jordan as the Levi character, along with Chris Evans as the Irwin character. It's the only way I would accept Chris Evans as an Irwin Smith type character. But I'm pretty sure the live action had neither of those characters, so it's a moot point.
1: The funny thing is, um, ever since Onyanko Pon joined, and people pointed out that he looked like John Boyega, I have to think about what John Boyega himself said. Like, if there was ever going to be a live action movie of Attack on Titan, and he would direct it, how he would make all the actors Asian, and <laughs> which you know is so counterproductive when it comes to the plot, because it's actually quite relevant that no one is Asian except for Mikasa.
0: I was going to look into this and I forgot. When John Boyega tweeted about the series, was it after that that Anyon Kapan became a character? Like, was that Isayama's... Yeah, yeah, it was way
1: after. Way after.
0: Okay, so did Isayama draw Anyon Kapan to look like John Boyega as an acknowledgement of John Boyega's interest?
1: I don't know. Maybe, I'm sure this deal has been in the works for quite some time. So,
0: well, the movie, the movie, yeah, the deal with the movie is um, we first heard about that in January 2017 when it very specifically said that it was going to be a remake of the live action movies. Mm-hmm. So the deal took um, uh, what's 12 plus 10? What's 12 plus 10? 22 months 22 to settle. Months. Uh, So how much that changed in 22 months, I do not know.
1: Lady Mo, is there anyone you want to see cast in the movie or anything you want to see plot-wise? Personally, I am kind of
2: chill with it. I have no expectations whatsoever as far as people getting cast. I don't think famous people will really go for it, but I'd like to see um, maybe some... I'd like them to cast the kids as their proper age, more or less. I don't want to see... 24 year olds going around playing 15 year olds um, the problem with that is that <laughs> you run into the problem with child actors which are awful but um, maybe an, a 19 year old and not a, a 30 year old playing this 15 year old would be a good, good
1: fit yeah I think so too and I was thinking about you. Will, maybe they will age up the characters like maybe they did in Game of Thrones when they did the series adaptation that's true so I don't know, but we have so little information right now. But it's fun to speculate, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: If we were going to get an HBO series Attack on Titan, I would expect it to be true to the source material. Right. If we were going to get a mini At least series, for the first season. <laughs> yeah, so I would feel a little more optimistic about it being an actual adaptation, uh, if that were the case. But as a two-hour-long movie. With the potential of, you know, a sequel, I'm just expecting absolutely nothing. It's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to bear the same name as the manga and that is it.
1: So there's one final thing that I would like to discuss because you went to Japan last month, didn't you, Momtaku?
0: I did. And I
1: know you also visited some SNK events. I did. So did you share? a little bit about that
0: so um the my very first day in japan with exactly two hours of sleep in 37 hours i went to the um sweets paradise for the attack on titan collaboration there and that's the one i know a lot of people probably aren't as current on the merch and the events but uh the one where the characters are all wearing kimonos and So that was an experience. So this was my literally um, right off the plane, first thing in Japan, go to this. And I met one of my longtime fandom friends uh, who I had never met before. We met there and had... The uh, the the whole meal, including the wall of Titan meat, which was a lot of fun. Oh but, um, yeah, the
1: colossal, the
0: titan colossal. Map. I don't even know what the official translation is, but the colossal Titan meat. And um, I was so exhausted and giddy and overwhelmed at that point that I think I ate it, and I think it was good. But mostly, <laughs> it was just um, like it's so weird. It, to you, you use vending machines to make your orders. I mean, it was just little things that were just so completely foreign to me. And I think if this event had been the last thing I did in Japan, I'd be a little more used to just how different, it's not a restaurant where you go and sit down and no, 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 you have to use a vending machine. Um, but it was great. It was great getting to meet somebody, one of the fandom translators that I've known since 2014 and just, seeing Attack on Titan merchandise in a public place, you know, like people eating at a restaurant surrounded by standees of the entire cast. It was, it was incredibly cool.
1: And I think you also said you went to the VR uh, event.
0: Yeah. So Attack on Mom Life, um, uh, had found this, it was in the Sony building. They were basically, uh, testing a new VR game and, uh, she took me to that, and what was there were several things that were incredibly cool about that. One is that everyone in line was adult women, and every time that Attack on Mom Life had been to this particular event, she said that was the way it is. Attack on Titan is a series with wild crossover appeal. I mean, I think in the States, it's mostly um, maybe young men, or maybe young men think that this is their series, but in Japan, it is very much a series that is loved by uh, women, and older women at that. So um, it was really cool. We had to fill out a questionnaire afterwards because this is a test of the VR game. But essentially, we got on um, these sort of saddle things. They put the capes on us. And the capes were actually a harness (laughs) to keep us from falling out. And we put on the VR glasses. And uh, uh, the reins of the horses were controlled through the device that we held in our hands. And basically, we got to ride with Levi. Uh, in the female Titan arc. And, uh, it it was, I, it was amazing. Like, I would absolutely, <laughs> 10 for 10, do it again. I ended up dead. Annie got me. And I have never been so happy to die at the hands of a Titan. It was the coolest. Even dying with Annie was amazing. So um, the Attack on Mom Life blog, she focuses almost entirely on events and happenings in Japan. So shout out to that blog. It's an amazing resource. And she is a wonderful, wonderful person. So I know if anyone's traveling to Japan, by all means, check out her blog, see what's going going on in the Attack on Titan space? Yeah. You know, you can message her and send her a question. So it was, uh, I was a little more rested by the time I did that. So it, that was amazing. And I got some cool Attack on Titan stickers. So yay.
1: Yeah, you got a lot of merch from I that. I did. Um, sweets Paradise Cafe, so much merch.
0: Yes. Jeez. And also from K-Books. And uh, I mean, yeah, when you're in Ike Berko, you, everything is, uh, in, there's an abundance of affordable merchandise that can be bought. Oh.
1: So um let's move on to the questions we re- received this month. Let's see. We got uh, a couple of questions on Tumblr. The first one being from uh an Anon saying uh or asking us, "Who are you guys waifu and husbando in SNK?"
2: Okay, for Husbando, um anybody who knows anything about me and who's ever spoken to me probably knows that I love Connie Springer a a great deal. Um, He's not the most popular character in fandom in general, but he has always been mine since almost the beginning. Um, There's a scene at the very beginning of Trost, right after Aaron is apparently eaten, where he finds Armin on the roof um, catatonic, and he defends him from Ymir after she says he should have died too. It's a pity that it was this guy that survived. And extends a hand to him, and I—I I knew from that moment that I was really going to like this kid. And later in that same—in um, that same arc, there's the scene where Mikasa falls out of the sky, and Armin um, goes after her, and Connie is the only one who follows him. And after Mikasa takes the knife away from him and says, "There's no way we in hell. You're, we're going to leave you here," Armin says, "No, you can't do that. You'll both die." And Connie says. I don't care, grabs his hand and carries him bridal style across the entire city, leaving him virtually <laughs> unable to defend himself. And from that moment, I he skyrocketed to the top of my favorites list and he stayed there. Um, I, I love almost everything about his character. I love um, all the stuff in Clash. I love his backstory with what happened to his family and how horrible that was. And that entire scene you get with him and Rhino looking at this destroyed town. Um, I love his relationship with Rhino. How he acts almost kind of like a morality pet for Rhino. It's like, it's, it's such a cool dynamic with him being almost like the angel on Rhino's one shoulder, With Bertolt being the, the warrior on the other soldier and warrior. And it's, it's so cool. And I love his relationship with Demir how he's everybody's baffled about what humor could possibly want during clash and um connie just kind of looks at story and says are you crazy this is this is clearly what she wants and he's right and he's just so emotionally intelligent even if he isn't entirely there tactical wise i i could i could rant and wax lyrical about Connie for hours. And I,
0: and I have, I love hearing you talk about Connie because he is such a rare choice for favorite character. Um, And uh, I I hear what you're saying. You're making me fall in love with him too. So Lady Mo has a Connie Springer body pillow. (laughs) Oh, if only such a thing existed. (laughs) (laughs) So what about your waifu? Who's your favorite? Who's your girl? Annie is my girl
2: uh, for different reasons. I had been spoiled on the fact that Annie was the female titan before I'd even watched the, watched the anime. That was something that I knew coming in. And because of that, um, I paid extra attention to her at the beginning, because this was, at the time, I thought the apparent villain of, of the whole series. So I paid extra attention to her um, at the very beginning, and as such, I kind of got a heads-up that things weren't really as black and white as they were being made out to be sort of before we were supposed to. And that's one of the reasons that I became so interested in the series. I watched it and I saw this, and uh, that's what spurred me to read the manga because I wanted to know how much of this um, gray and gray mortality actually ran through it because of what I saw in her. And sure enough, we. Well, you, you got that in bucket
0: loads, didn't you?
2: got that in bucket loads. And because of that, even though she's been trapped in her crystal for years, I will always have a soft spot for her uh, because she's the one that really made me invested in the
1: series.
0: So what about you, Luna? I know who your husbando is, but if, if this is someone's very first time listening.
1: It's Reiner, of course.
0: Of course. Um,
1: of course. Well, I say of course, but um, for a very long time, I actually didn't like him. <laughs> So in the I think until Return to Shigan Shina I didn't like him at all and I uh, that was more because personality wise I was kind of indifferent to him but like appearance wise I was kind of like turned off by him so I, automatically he ended up on like the wrong side for me and uh, Return on Shigan Shina was so annoying I just wanted him to die like just die already that was my whole thought process on him. And then we finally got to the Marley arc and um, we kind of saw him post time skip for the first time, like in that plane. And I thought, wow, okay, he looks really handsome right now. That's good. And then we got his entire arc and uh, his backstory and what he had been through. And he was just such, such good character development. And yeah, I really grew to love him during the Marley arc and he's now my absolute favorite character. I absolutely adore him.
0: So this begs the question of before Return to Shiganshina, who was your favorite?
1: Um, I had two other favorites. Like in the very beginning it was Sean, and I still like him, but um, his character development kind of decreased a little bit. So he didn't he wasn't as relevant, so I just kind of lost interest. And then I actually liked Erwin for a little while. Until I found out that he was actually rather selfish at times and wanted to survive to kind of um, make his dream possible, I felt so betrayed because I thought better of him. And then I immediately disliked him and I never stopped disliking him after.
0: (laughs) Excuse Erwin for not being perfect 100% of the time, unlike Reiner, who never makes a mistake.
1: No, but uh, that's my personal feelings. Like if I feel betrayed, if I feel someone lied to me, then I'm done with you for the rest of your life.
0: Okay, waifu. I'm gonna, before I head down this.
1: <laughs> okay, so I don't really have a, a waifu, but if you ask me about my favorite female character, it's Emir, and I actually also felt the same way uh, about her <laughs> as I did about Reiner. I absolutely loathed her. Thought she was one of the worst characters. Uh, when she finally died in the manga, I was like, good riddance didn't miss her one bit, didn't understand the fandom outrage. And then season two happened, and um, we got to see, um, you know, the flashback, how she grew up in Marley, and the music was great, and the, you know, placing of that flashback in season two was so very well done. And I found myself nearly crying at that episode, and I thought, okay, wow, this is not only a great episode, but this is a great character. And I think her voice acting really made me understand her character better. Um, And also, of course, we had more information at the time, what was going on. I remember reading Clash of the Titan arc and not really understanding what she wanted or what side she was on. And of course, now it's quite evident. And I really, really started to appreciate her. And I'm kind of Sad almost that she's gone now, but I hope we will get some sort of flashback with her and get something more, because she really is what my absolute favorite female character in this entire series.
0: So Lady Mo is faithful forever. She likes somebody, she likes them forever. With Luna, you have to be like (laughs) on the poop list, and then you become your hero. No matter how perfect you are, yeah, you have to, you have to, you can't disappoint Luna. You have to like surprise her in a pleasant way. So this is the lesson (laughs) from this. So I think I think anyone who knows me knows that I have been in love with Erwin Smith since chapter 51 of the manga and that has never changed. He is my guy. I will I mean I'm and I think I've said before I'm a reader. I read all genres. You know, I I I love the classics. I love foreign books. I love everything. Erwin Smith is might be my favorite Hmm. Yes. Top five. I will say top five favorite literary characters of all time. I would put him up against like Mr. Darcy and Grand Terre no. from Les Mis. Like I would absolutely put Irwin in <laughs> league with my other favorite guys. So no question about it. He is my guy. Um, I am like Luna. I don't have a waifu per se. I think if I... I think the actual definition of waifu, Luna, you, you explain it to me as like, this is the person you have a body pillow of. <laughs> um, I think if <laughs> under those criteria, it would probably be Mikasa. But my favorite female character in this series since chapter 36 has been Emir. For all the reasons of everyone else, I just, loving Emir y- is like the gift that keeps on giving, no matter, uh, you know, whenever I think that, oh, this is done, then some other twist happens and it's just better, 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 until her. Her death, of course. Which I'm one of those, um, like you know, in the United mm-hmm. States, we had the birther debate. This is like the death or debate. I am the death or debate when it comes to Ymir, where I'm just not convinced her story is over yet.
1: Yeah, I think that's the only thing that I disagree on with most people who like Ymir or love her is that I always thought it was very obvious that her character uh, arc ended at uh, Clash of the Titans on top of the wall of Shiganshina, like. That was her sacrifice she made it very evident that this was where her story was going to end so i never really expected to see more of her after that and yet for me it made sense in the story like she had served her purpose that being said i would still like to see her again but i've made my peace that her arc has come to an end And i don't think we got any questions for you lady mo on reddit just You know, a lot of people that were really excited that you were joining the podcast and saying that they really adore your meta and your comments, uh, every uh, new chapter thread. That made me feel
2: good. I like that people like my stuff as much as I like writing it.
0: I'm one of those voices too. I've been a big fan for a very long time. So we'll go ahead and say that now, get that out of the way. I um, am not on Reddit with a lot of frequency, but there are about four people whose posts I look for and yours uh, in the last year and a half have been one of those. I've always appreciated your insights. So um, it's just been really lovely having you join us.
1: Thank you. It's been really lovely being here. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I also really enjoyed having you on. I wasn't as familiar with you as Mom was, but um, yeah, I definitely read um, the post he made about uh, Papa Browse, and I was very, very impressed with what you wrote. And, very, and I thought you would be a great guest, and you were a great guest. Thank you. So thank you for being I've here. Had a blast. It's a lot of fun. Okay, guys, so um, that was it for um, this month's podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. As always, thank you for offering your hearts and ears. And see you next time. Bye. Bye.